Father in heaven, you are completely sufficient in every way imaginable. Father, I know as I stand here behind this pulpit, I am completely insufficient in every way. Lord, your word is perfect and powerful, but only by you, Holy Spirit, moving through your word. So this morning, God, we ask that you would preach in spite of a foolish and frail preacher, Lord, that you would speak. God, truly, we long to hear from you, from your scriptures. Lord, just as Jake prayed earlier, would you hide me in the shadow of the cross of you, our Savior, Lord Jesus. God, would you use your word, Spirit, would you move through your word to challenge us, to convict us, to encourage us, to motivate us, to give us comfort and strength. Father, all these things are possible simultaneously through your word and spirit, through you working through the word. So would you do that among us? Would your words flow forward and mine be stopped. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Well, folks, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. And I know that you will be relieved to hear that this will be the last week to turn to Exodus chapter 14. So, what I want you to do before we read the entire chapter together again and get this story in our hearts and in our minds one more time, I want us to walk through those verses and walk through what we have seen in chapter 14 thus far. Many of these principles are in the book by Robert J. Morgan, The Red Sea Rules, and they are right here in Scripture. So, we started off and we looked at Exodus 14 in verses 1 and 2 and 3. We see that God took the Israelites and put them right where He wanted them to be. And so we know in life because God directed the Israelites, and we see that all through Scripture, of Him directing and orchestrating that everything that happens in our lives, God either directly calls or causes or indirectly allows. God means for us to be where we are. There is a plan and a purpose for everything that happens. As we look through these verses, we also see how the Lord is very concerned with His glory. See there in verse 4, and again in verse 17, how God speaks about getting glory over Pharaoh and over all the Egyptians. God is concerned for His own glory, and we should be also. So we should be more concerned for God's glory than for our comfort, than for our convenience, than our relief, than our prosperity, than our success, than our safety. Our concern should be first and foremost about God and His glory, and then secondarily about those things that deal more personally with us. And then we notice in verse 10, as we saw, we acknowledge our enemy, but keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. In verse 10, Pharaoh draws near the people of Israel, lift up their eyes, they see the Egyptians marching, and they are terribly afraid. They do not focus on God. They focus 
on the Egyptians. We do have a very real adversary who is a spiritual force of darkness working against us in the world today, but that cannot be our focus. We acknowledge that the enemy is there working against us, but we keep our focus on the Lord. And then we notice that they did cry out to the Lord at the end of verse 10. They cry out to God. And so we talked about praying, about crying out to God in whatever situation, whatever circumstance, spontaneously, systematically, whatever the case may be. But then immediately after they pray, they turn and rail against Moses, right? They cry out to the Lord, but then immediately they start back-talking Moses and want to know what God's going to do immediately. And so sometimes we have to give God just a little bit of room to work. If we say a prayer and say amen and have not, ex- and have not seen our miracle happen, we immediately turn and rail against the Lord. But we have to stay calm and confident. Just like Romans 12, we leave room for God's wrath. We have to leave room for God to work. But then after we've been patient, after we have waited and been still and waited on the Lord, sometimes the Lord says, okay, you know the next step to take. Just take the next step by faith. And we see that in verse 15. Moses is told by the Lord, what are you crying out to me for, man? Tell the Israelites, move forward. We have to remember that sometimes God wants us to just take the next logical step by faith one day at a time. And then we looked at how God's presence in verses 19 and 20 moved from before them to behind them and lit their way all through the night through the midst of the Red Sea. So it is the same with us. We have to envision God's presence with us in every moment to inspire us to live for Him, to know that He is right there when we are praying. We are talking to a real person who exists. It's not just us kind of babbling to our imaginary friend. God is There, envision His presence with us. And then, last week we talked about trusting God to deliver in His own unique way. Over and over again in Scripture, God shows up, God promises He will deliver, but sometimes His deliverance doesn't look like what we expect. Remember we talked about the man who had his hut burned down on the uninhabited island and he was mad at God, but he'd been praying for rescue. And the next day a boat showed up. The man thought that God was cursing him by allowing his house to burn down, and all the while he was signaling for help and rescuing the man. God will deliver, but it will be in his own unique way. So this morning I want us to focus on the last few verses, verses 29 through 31. So as we read through this in just a moment, I want to encourage you to stay focused on what God will teach us through these last few verses. Now that they have made it through the Red Sea and are walking through, what does God teach them through this experience. So, if you have found your place in Scripture, whether you are using a a paginated text, a book, or whether you follow along on the screen, or your phone, or your tablet, I would encourage you, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word. I will read verses 1 through 31, and I encourage you to respond when we are done. I will say, this is the Word of the Lord, and you are free to say, thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Exodus Chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart 
and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and he overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pihaharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to die, to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, in the, in the, in the, morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots. And the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. 
And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in His servant, Moses. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Coming to this chapter one last time this morning, we notice that at the end of the chapter, the Israelites see the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And what is the effect? They fear the Lord and they believe in the Lord. And then they believe in the Lord's servant, Moses. Even though they have already seen so many plagues, even though they have already been through so much with the Lord, even though they have cried out to the Lord for rescue and Moses actually shows up, that in itself would be enough, but the Lord goes a step further. They find themselves in this chapter at the beginning trapped with nowhere to go, nowhere to turn, wilderness to their left, wilderness to their right, and the army of the Egyptians coming behind them and the sea before them. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I have felt that pressure. And so this morning there is a resolve that we can take into every trial and every tribulation. Every struggle that comes our way, we can use that by the power of the Holy Spirit as a builder of our faith for the future. But it's not just about us. It's a builder for our faith for the future for us and for others around us. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, the promises of deliverance apply to us. And so we can know that even in the midst of tribulation, some way, somehow, God will provide and deliver miraculously. But if you wonder, but why the test? Why bring us to the Red Sea when you could have taken us around the other way? Leading up to Exodus 14, the Lord led them away from the paths of war. The Lord led them to the dead end, the cul-de-sac. But why would he do that? In order to build their faith. And build faith for thousands and thousands of years. Today, thousands of years later, we're still talking about how God can part the Red Sea and people can walk through on dry ground to build our faith. Look, the Bible mentions this over and over and over again. All through Scripture, Deuteronomy 11.4, Joshua chapters 2, chapter 4, chapter 24, Nehemiah chapter 9, Psalm 106, Psalm 136, Isaiah 51, Acts chapter 7. That's just a tiny snippet of the various places throughout Scripture that they reference the Red Sea being parted so that they might encourage other believers, so that they might remind the Israelites, so that they might remind Christians, even as Stephen is preaching, even as he is explaining the gospel in Acts chapter 7, to remind Remind people that God works miracles and he can deliver and allow that to build their faith. You see, sometimes I think we get frustrated at a test, but the nature of the test depends heavily on who's giving the test, right? I don't know about you guys, but I had those teachers growing up where you would go and they assumed nobody did the reading. They assumed nobody was on par with what they were supposed to know for class that day. And so they just kind of randomly decide, eh, time for a pop quiz. 
And then they hand you this test. And you know it's not for your good. You know it's not for your betterment. That teacher doesn't care if you know this material. That teacher knows you didn't do the homework and I got you. And so they do a pop quiz. In that kind of a test, it feels more like a trap, right? And when we think of tests, often we think of traps because we've had some bad teachers along the way. But what about the good teachers we've had along the way? What about like if Miss Jessica Daniels is your teacher? You know what I mean? She's one of those teachers that cares that you know the material, right? She wants to make sure that her kids are prepared. And a test is an opportunity to prove what you know. A test is an opportunity to grow your knowledge. And a test is not a trick or a trap. It's a time to prove what you've done. It's an opportunity. And so the same thing is true with God. God gives us tests. But because he is a good God, it is an opportunity. It's not a trap. You see, the devil sets traps for us and tests us in ways to trap us. But God tests us in ways to give us opportunities to build our faith and build the faith of those around us. That's why he records these victories throughout Scripture. That's why we're still talking about the Red Sea today, because it built up the faith of those who were there. And it built up the faith for generations to come. Now, that doesn't mean that the Israelites were perfect, but there's enough references in the Old Testament to know it helped the remnant of the faithful along. They could look back and know our God is able. Our God has saved in the past, so I will be faithful in this moment. I will trust in God even in the midst of this trial, even in the midst of this loss, even in the midst of this struggle, because God can and will deliver and then we also see this exemplified in other characters, in other stories throughout Scripture. Look with me at the story of David. You may remember some about David. David was the run of the litter, right? He was scrappy and scrawny and ruddy and handsome, as, as Scripture would describe him. As Saul is king and the Lord is grieved by Saul, and Saul decides we're going to pick a new king. And Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And remember, Samuel goes through and says, oh, surely this guy's who you picked, Lord. And the Lord says, no. Nah. And all the way through the sun, still there's nobody left. And then he goes, do you not have any other kids? He goes, well, I got this one, like, you know, scrawny kid out there that, you know, keeps the sheep. But he, it, no, no chance you mean him. Well, the Lord meant him. And so then David gets into Saul's presence, and he, he's, he's playing the harp whenever Saul is perturbed or frustrated. And, and then he comes to this point where Israel is facing off against the Philistines. And they go to the valley of Elah, and this giant named Goliath stands down there and says, look, I, I guarantee you nobody can beat me. So David says, hey, you making fun of God? You making fun of God's people? I ain't going to stand for it. But listen to the conversation that David has with King Saul, beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. At that moment, you got to know Saul's not really that impressed, right? Like, hey, this guy's been a man of war from his youth, and you're a youth. And David responds and goes, right, but I used to keep sheep. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're going to be okay. And King Saul can't be real excited by the beginning of, Saul, of David's argument here. But he continues. And he says, And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. 
And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, well, go and the Lord be with you. You see, it wasn't encouraging to King Saul at first when David said, but you don't understand. I used to keep sheep because, you see, King Saul's thinking David was a typical shepherd. When a lion or bear would come and get a sheep, like, ah, golly, <laughs> lion got another one. Sure hate that. Hey, Dad, we're down one in the flock. There's a lion around. May want to move the flock. I mean, if I'm the shepherd out there, I don't care if it's my dad's sheep or not. A bear comes up and steals a sheep. I'm like, whoop. He got it. <laughs> a snack for him. He's out of here. I'm the youngest in the family, Dad. You call me the run of the litter. I ain't chasing down no bear. But what does David say to King Saul? No, 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 you don't understand. I was a good shepherd. When a bear or a lion came and snatched a sheep, I would chase the bear or the lion down and get the sheep back. He doesn't sneak attack the bear or the lion. He gets the sheep back and leaves the bear and the lion alone. And then the bear and the lion pursue a fight with him. And he says, if they came after me, I struck them down. And you know what I did? I grabbed them by their beard, and I struck them down. And David said, bear's like what? Re- sits back up on his haunches, stands up on his back legs, 10, 11 feet tall. Goliath ain't no bigger than a bear. I can handle this Philistine. He defies the Lord. God delivered me from a bear. Goliath looks kind of like a bear. I got him. This is good. We're going to be all right. Do you know why David had faith to go and fight Goliath? Because he'd already fought the bear. Do you know why God allowed for a bear and a lion to take sheep from his dad's flock? So that David's faith could be built up to the point that he would have the faith necessary to fight Goliath. That's why the bears and the lions came along, to build David's faith. And then others could look and see and go, if a shepherd can take down a lion and a bear, I might have a chance. If a little shepherd boy can take down Goliath, we got a shot. And that's why the rest of the army rushes into the valley and they have a marvelous victory. But it wasn't just the bear and the lion that prepared David for this peak moment in his life of Goliath and that everything was downhill from there. Goliath wasn't the peak or the end of David's life. Goliath was actually a faith builder for David for future days. Look with me again in 1 Samuel. Let's go just a few chapters down. 1 Samuel chapter 21. Then David said to Ahimelech, Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will, take that. Take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. Folks, David falls out of favor with King Saul because everybody loves David more than Saul, right? Samuel likes David more than Saul. The people sing songs. King Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. So Saul begins to pursue David. And David is living in caves and hiding. And any time any official from the Israeli, Israelite government finds David, their instructions are to kill him and bring his dead body to Saul. Saul wants David dead or alive. That's the bounty that's out there. And so David finds himself once again in dire straits, but he's able to encounter that struggle and that trial, not just because he's already faced bears and lions. So how is King Saul and an army much different? 
not just because of that, but also because he's faced Goliath. And God used the encounter with Goliath to build David's faith. It's not just that he used the experience. God actually preserved the same weapons so that he could use the same weapon that he cut Goliath's head off with to defend himself against King Saul and all of King Saul's army that was hunting him down. Folks, God allows struggles and trials and tests in our life to build up our faith so that we are ready for what comes at us down the pipe. We don't see what's going to happen at the end of our lives in another day, in a few weeks, in a month. And we might wonder, God, why would you allow this to happen? Because God's preparing us for something in our lives. But it's not just that self-centered. Folks, I, I'm, I'm selfish. I'm narcissistic. I get it. it it's, it's about me, Lord. And if it ain't about me, then I tell you what, then something's wrong because this life's about me. Folks, we got to get a lesson through our heads. Life's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us. Life's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us. And sometimes God allows us to experience trials and tribulations and struggles and hardships. He brings us to the edge of the Red Sea when there's nowhere else to go. And he parts the Red Sea not just to deliver us, but so that we can build the faith of others. So that they can see that God has delivered us. So that they can see how God has worked in our life and they can have confidence that God is real, that God works, that God moves, that it's not the end of the world when this happens or that happens, when finances are tight, when your marriage is difficult, when your kids are wandering out in the wilderness and you're begging for your prodigals to come home, when the president you voted for gets elected or doesn't get elected. There's people who have walked through this before and their faith can build ours. And I know this because of what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Don't miss this. God comforts us in our affliction. God will comfort us. But there is a so that. Do not miss the comma so that for the sake of in order that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction and to offer them the same comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. The reason that God will carry us through a trial is so that the comfort we experience can then be turned and shared with others walking the same path. I want you to imagine this with me, okay? Think about it. You're the first person to go across the rickety, falling apart old bridge, right? It's that classic scene in the movie. You get to the place, the ropes are breaking, the wood's all shattering apart, and you're the first one. But there's somebody behind you, and so you walk across the bridge, and you... It's kind of scary. The wood might give way any moment. Well, now I make it across, and I look back and go... You step where I stepped, you're good, bro. Come on. It's a lot easier for that second person, right? Imagine being the first person. There's like 1.2 million Israelites. 1.2 million Israelites have to cross through this Red Sea on dry ground. Imagine being Israelite numero uno. Like the ground's dry. The water is walls. And you're like, (laughs) Moses, that, that way, right? Okay, here we go. 
<laughs> hey, it didn't cave in. And then you're like, the water's a wall on your right hand and on your left. So you're like, <laughs> it's like congealed. It's a wall. Hey, guys, it's going to be okay. Come on. So like if you're, you know, Israelite number 600,001, you're like, this ain't nothing. There's already been six. Half of us have already made it through. This is no big deal. I got this. Folks, that's why we go through trials sometimes. Because you might be the first one through, but there's somebody coming behind you. And they need to see your faith through the trial so that they can endure the trial. They need to know how comforted God has made you and how God has encouraged you and lift your heart and lifted your spirit, preserved your marriage, made it right even after there was a divorce or whatever the case may be, whether your finances fell through and you had to file bankruptcy. And then you know what? You came out on the other side and God made it okay because bankruptcy wasn't the end of your life. And then somebody else behind you is filing for bankruptcy and you can go to them and be like, God will deliver you if you will trust him because I've been there because I needed to trust him. I did and he delivered. But, you know, we have a tendency to be those people that not only do we not accept the comfort of the Lord, we have a tendency to be those people who offer nothing but negativity to the people coming behind us. Right. Do, do you all know that guy or that girl? You know, that person that, hey, man, my, my wife just got diagnosed with cancer and I'm really scared. And I don't know what's going on. What type of cancer was it, bro? Oh, man, it was, it was this Hodgkin's stuff. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I don't really understand. Hey, don't, ooh, man, mm, golly, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Why? Well, because, you know, like my cousin had Hodgkin's, and he died like a slow, excruciatingly painful, awful death. It's probably the worst death I've ever seen anybody die. And that's the same type of cancer that your wife was just diagnosed with. Gee, thanks, buddy. I feel better. Hello? We are those people. Oh, your marriage is on the rocks? Yeah, I know somebody's marriage on the rocks just like that. They got divorced. They hate each other. Their kids can't even go to the same Christmas party together. It's awful. It's just terrible. I, I hate that. Oh, nice to know. All right. We're going to be, I was just hanging on by a thread that you just snapped right in front of me. But that's okay. Folks, God works and delivers when we trust him. And when we've been delivered, it's our job to look to those who come behind us and say, trust in God and he will deliver. He'll carry you, whether the finances show up or not, whether your marriage can be restored or reconciled or not, whether your children ever come back as prodigals or not. God is there and he will deliver. And you remind them of what we studied last week. God delivers in his own unique way. And I know that because I've experienced God deliver in his own unique way. We're comforted with a comfort from God so that we can be a comfort to those who are in affliction. The comfort with which we comfort ourselves. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Folks, this is a sin-stricken world. And because of the curse of sin, we will face suffering. But verse 7 caps it. 
Paul's hope for the Corinthians is unshaken because he knows that as we share in sufferings as Christians, we will also share in comfort. There is comfort because we know Christ will deliver. Because we've seen how others stood at the Red Sea and God parted it and let them walk through on dry ground. So if you're facing struggles today, don't think that God has set a trap for you. God has given you and I an opportunity to prove and build our faith. The lions and the bears have come along so that we might be ready for Goliath. And so that we might encourage others who will face other Goliaths in their lives. I'll I'll close with this this morning. There was an interesting story I read. There was an article about the University of Arizona who now owns this thing called a Biosphere 2. You can Google it. University of Arizona. I mean, not right now. Look, put, Put your phone down. I didn't mean right now, okay? Google it later, all right? University of Arizona, Biosphere 2. They enclosed, made like a greenhouse, no air or outside water or anything else. It is like an encapsulated planet, okay? And they're trying to let things grow naturally. And they started this back in the 80s. And they learned that after about five or ten years, their trees would grow up and get to a certain height and then fall over. And within this biosphere, they they made a way in, however they did, and planted more trees. And five or ten years later, when those trees reached the same height, they fell over as well. What they learned after multiple experiments and all sorts of science and grants and everything, the root system couldn't sustain the tree to even stand as still a young sapling because there was no wind. Apparently, wind is essential for the growth and support and strength of a tree. As the wind blows on even a young sapling, it doesn't have to be tornadic wind or a hurricane force wind, but as winds blow which were shielded away in that biosphere, the winds blow against the tree, the tree responds, the cells have some sort of reaction that because they're stressed, they grab the soil harder, they stretch out wider, they dig down deeper, and so trees can grow up to immense heights because the wind blows against them. But no wind and the tree can't stand. Folks, God allows things to happen or straight up causes things to happen in our lives to build our faith. Because if we were in just a nice biosphere, in a nice bubble, and there was no wind or no resistance or no trial, no struggle, no hardship that came against us, we couldn't even stand and hold our own weight. We'd fall on our face. Just like those trees couldn't even bear their own weight. Folks, it's not fun But we need that wind blowing against us. We need those struggles, those trials, those hardships. We need the bears and the lions. We need the Goliaths so that God can pull the faith out of us that He has planted into us. And those experiences are a faith builder not only for us, but for all those around us. For those in our community. And with the power of the internet for those around the world. Think about how many times you're scrolling through Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat, whatever social media platform you're on, or or all of them if you're wasting all your day on every one of them. Whatever it may be, as you scroll through, how many different stories from all over the world do you read and do you see of somebody who had every struggle that you have faced 
God delivered them and they give glory and credit to God. How many miracles do you read about just on your news feed? Just on your little swiping through thing? Folks, our trials and struggles are supposed to be fuel for our faith and for the faith of those around us. There are people in this church that have done this. They've gone through that hardship and now they're utilizing their experience to minister to others and comfort them. Folks, how are you taking your trials and your struggles and ministering to others? How are you looking at your circumstance in life and using that to build your faith and build faith of brothers and sisters in Christ around you? I have to ask another question. Maybe you're facing hardship and trial and struggle and you see no hope because you really don't trust in Jesus. Folks, there is no hope without faith. You have to have faith that God is real, that Jesus really was born of a virgin. He really lived a perfect life and fulfilled every letter of the law. He died our death, the penalty we deserve, and beckons us to believe in Him and give our lives over to Him. Not a, not a silly, simple beliefism. Not a, I said one prayer and that's my ticket to get out of hell and the damnation that I deserve. I, I'm talking about you trust in Jesus so much you give Him your life and let Him direct our lives and be our boss so that we begin to look more and more like him and every struggle and every trial that we face we say prayers like he prayed god let this cup pass from me i don't want this test but if this is the way i gotta go your will be done and i'll do it faithfully and then you use it lord to glorify yourself and comfort somebody else coming behind me but you can't say that if you don't trust in jesus if you don't trust in him, you got no hope. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I just mean that's the gospel truth. If you have no Jesus, you have no hope. So, maybe this morning you need to trust in Jesus. Maybe this morning you need to realize that God has allowed the things to happen in your life and in my life that have happened so that you can share his love, so that you can share his hope. So that you can give comfort to somebody else. And you've been sitting on that comfort all on your own. Folks, we, we sang it jokingly the other day, right? This light that we have, we got to let it shine. We won't let Satan put, blow it out, it out. We're going to let it shine. We won't hide it under a bushel. We're going to let it shine. We're going to let it shine until Jesus comes. So the comfort and the light and the hope that we experience... We'll build our faith for the future. So that the comfort and the hope that we experience will empower the faith of our brothers and sisters coming along beside us and behind us. Where are you staying this morning, church? How comforted are you and how are you sharing that comfort? Have you ever experienced that comfort? I want to encourage us. I'm going to pray for us. Jason's going to come and lead us. We're going to sing. But don't let this time of response pass you by. Do real business with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for our trials and our, our tests. 
the opportunities you give us to grow in faith, to become more faithful, to become more loyal, to have comfort to then turn and offer to others. Father, thank you that you parted the Red Sea. And we can look at that and know that the same God who parted the Red Sea then can part the Red Sea now. Lord, I pray that you move on our hearts. Help us, Lord, because, Father, when I'm in the midst of a struggle, I don't see it as an opportunity. Father, help us to see what you're doing and trust your hand even when we don't know where we're going. Help us to be comforting to others. Lord, if there is anybody listening to my voice this morning that doesn't trust in you, would you draw them unto yourself right now that they might walk this aisle and come stand down here, talk to Jake, talk to me and say, I need Jesus. I want that comfort and I've never experienced it. Lord, we love you and we ask that as we, as we sing here in a moment, you would move and we would respond based on your leadership. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing? Would you respond to the Holy Spirit as he moves?
your power. Father, don't let us be blown astray by stray winds, Father, but help us to stand the test of time. To stand firm in faith, Father. Lord, thank you that there is no guilt in life. There is no fear in death, Father. Because you are alive. God, help us to see our trials as opportunities. To love you and serve you and trust you with all that we have. With all that we are. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, our Father in heaven. Amen.